Uh, if you remember, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, and if you have your Bible with you this morning, I ask you to open your book, uh, your Bible to the book of Ephesians, and chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Uh, the first 16 verses will be our text, as you can see on the screen. Um, but if you recall, we've had about seven messages up to this point, and in that first uh, couple of messages, I told you a story about a, a duck. Y'all remember the story about the duck? It's okay, I know, y'all slept like, you know, a lot between now and then and had to forget what Brother Darren was preaching about. But the story was about ducks, ducks imprint on birth. The first thing they see, they imprint on whatever they see, which usually works out just fine because, well, you know, most ducks when they're hatched, they're hatched by a mama duck. But it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes things go awry, and uh, for this duck I had told you about, this duck had, had been born under the careful or the motherly uh, influence of a, of a border collie. And so when that duck opened its eyes and it saw mama, it was a dog. And it imprinted on that dog. And this kind of duck decided that this dog was its mother. It followed the dog around. It ran to it for protection. It slept with it at night. It spent the hot part of the day under the front porch. And when a car pulled into the driveway, it burst out from under that porch and quacked madly and pecked at the tires just like a dog would. And the reality is what we learn is that this poor duck was confused about who it was. And the first three chapters of this book, Paul is is drawing out a description of who the saved in Christ are. He's giving us uh, an understanding of what our identity is, that we're no longer uh, 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 children of this world, but now we're children of God. Many Christians have lost sight of who we truly are and have confusion regarding our own identity. And it makes a lot of sense why we grow up in a fallen world surrounded by the trappings of sin. We learn the ways of the world. But if you've been paying attention to the last few weeks, we find that in Christ we have died to this world. And when before we were literally the walking dead as described in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, uh, we are now alive forevermore. And now in chapter 4, we find Paul telling us, the readers and the people of Ephesus, he says, now you know who you are as a Christian, he wants you to act like one. Have you ever heard that before? Act like one. You know, a, a, a Marine, a young Marine who's, who's been uh, going through weeks of boot camp, uh, when they find themselves in that final test and, and maybe they're crawling through the mud and there's uh, live rounds of ammunition being shot over their heads and they have a moment where they freeze up because they're terrified, someone might look over to them and say, hey man, don't forget you're a Marine, act like one. My dad, when I was growing up and still now, I don't know, he's, I'm a grown man now, I guess, I guess he hasn't always figured that out, but he does tell me sometimes, and he told me especially when I was younger, he said, remember who you are. And I always wondered, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm the son of a cop or a deacon or, 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 or what, what, he, what he would have meant if he was Paul was remember that you're bought by the blood of Jesus Christ and now act like one. In verse 4, Paul invokes the words, one body. And he's talking about a church. And so this message this morning is for a church. And 
what he describes through the next three chapters and and especially our 16 verses this morning is what a healthy body looks like. How we should be one body and then act like it. And so let's begin. We're going to read these 16 verses and then we're just going to try to uh, go through them. I'll try not to take his uh, uh, all afternoon, although I might, you never know. Let's, let's read. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What we see first is that a healthy church is spiritually united. We're going to be united to one another. We, we're united first, we see in verse 1, by a divine calling. Uh, he he calls it a vocation, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called. Uh, we're, we're, we're united by this divine vocation. That word walk is incredibly important because it's going to appear a lot of times through the rest of this book. And it essentially means to how, how you conduct your life, the conduct of one's life. Uh, so as Paul is, is now expounding, he has now expounded upon the gospel for the last three verses and describing the radical change that's taken place in our life because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He now wants the reader to know how to conduct their lives in keeping with the gospel. He says, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called. This involves our whole life, which is difficult to really get a hold of because often how we live, especially here in America, is we live our Christian life separate from our secular life. We have this division in our life where we say, well, this is my time at church and this is my time for Bible study and then this is the rest of my time. And the rest of my time is mine and I'm just going to fall right in line with what the world is doing because that's what I've been raised up in, into. That's what I understand. That's what I've uh, always done. But in reality, it involves our whole life, not just a segment of our life. Our whole lives are to live in keeping of the gospel, in light of the gospel. We have a common uh, vocation. It's in reference to our new position in Christ. And I would love to go to chapter 1 and talk to you about what you have in Christ but we would never go home for dinner or lunch. But read it. Remember it. We have been blessed into this position. If you remember in, in chapter uh, 1, I'll read this least, at least this, the, the third verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, and after he says in Christ, he goes and he describes God's magnificent plan of the gospel and how we have been blessed into this plan. And this common calling, this common vocation that we have, it unites all of us. It's common to all of us that have trusted Christ. We're all in Christ. We're united by a divine vocation. We're united also by Christ-like conduct we see in verses 2 and 3. To walk worthy means to look like Christ. How many of y'all studied, uh, have studied the, uh, the Gospels? Uh, have studied the Gospels and, and got to see what kind of guy Jesus was. Uh, and by the way, you're not going to get a whole picture of it 
through your whole life. Uh, if you've studied it one time, you need to study it a hundred more times a uh, week on end. I mean, you need, to, you need to continually try to understand what kind of guy Christ was because he is our example. He enumerates the qualities exemplified in Christ and he lists them for us. He says lowliness. He's speaking about humility. Uh, this is an essential characteristic for all believers is humility. Uh, uh, it's, it's not something that comes natural to us. But for unity to exist within a church, we must be humble, selfless people who care for others. The opposite would be pride. Guess what God hates? Pride. Oh yeah, Miss Valerie knows. God hates pride. That's the way of our world. Self-exaltation. We live in an incredibly consumeristic society. And it's all geared towards you. Exalt yourself. Treat yourself. Serve yourself. In Panama, uh, the, ro- the rule of the road is yo primero, which means me first. Okay? And you'll get, if you ever get to go to Panama with us, it, you'll get to experience it firsthand. I mean, they don't care about anybody else except for where they're going and how they're going to get there. And if they run you off the road, great. I don't care. Me first. Yo primero. Timothy Keller wrote this. He said, The essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Listen, if we're going to be uh, uh, like Christ, then we're going to think less about ourselves. And we're going to think about ourselves less. How about that? We're going to think of others more. He, he also uh, says, calls uh, meekness with all lowliness and meekness. He's talking about gentleness. That doesn't mean to be timid. It, doesn't, it involves being mild-spirited or self-controlled. One wonderful example for Scripture would be Moses. Moses was described in Numbers as, as, as the meekest man on earth, but in reality, he was a dynamic leader that challenged the power of the throne of Egypt. And, of course, he did that by the power of God. But you can't be a bully and walk worthy of your calling. And that's something many of us need to get in our heads because it is our natural uh, uh, position to kind of see that now we're saved and Christ has saved us and we're living a, a different life and we'll look at others and, and we'll look at others and see how uh, depraved they are, how lost they are, and we'll, that will bolster our pride in ourselves. And many, I hate to say this, but many independent Baptists even become uh, prideful bullies from the pulpit. Or, or from their own church, and that is not Christ-like at all. You cannot be a bully and, uh, and exhibit, walk worthy of your calling. Humility, gentleness. Uh, the next one was long-suffering, patience. For some of us, uh, how many of you all have a lot of patience? Hey, for some of us, the microwave is too slow, isn't it? Man, I wish that thing would hurry up. I'm ready for popcorn now. Uh, Lack of patience displays a lack of humility. And even greater, a lack of love. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, love is patient. Charity is patient. Or accepting one another in love, forbearing one another in love, is, is, uh, is what it says in the, in the uh, uh, King James. This means we're to put up with one another in love. Did you know you're not going to like everything about me? There's going to have to be some stuff you put up with. This is how marriage works. This is the only way my, my marriage works. Uh, if Melissa didn't put up with me, this wouldn't work at all. 
but she forbears me in love. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Love covers a multitude of sin, or diligently, or endeavoring to keep the unity in love. Diligently keeping unity. It is an active pursuit to keep unity. It's not something that's going to happen passively. We should be zealous to maintain unity. This is what it looks like to be Christ-like. We should be united in this type of Christ-like conduct. And then the third part to this, this first point is united by gospel confession. And Paul shares seven one statements. We'll read in verse uh, verses 4, there is one body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. You know, we might be from diverse backgrounds and have different gifts, but we are united as one in Christ's local church. We have one spirit who, who supplies our strength and our needs for the work that he has for us to do. And he supplies the strength for us to uh, maintain unity within our church. He, we have one common hope in Jesus Christ. We have one Lord, one sovereign power in each of our lives. Whether you live that, this way or not, you have a sovereign power in your life. And it's the same one that I have. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. We have one faith. We share common doctrines and faiths, uh, beliefs together. One baptism. We share a, a common form of uh, and recognized authority for baptism. And this is our uniting act in Christ. Every member of this church who is a, a, a biblical member of this church has been baptized into a local uh, Baptist church. And Margarita did that this morning. Such a blessing that she's now covenanted together with us through baptism. And she's, she's uh, acted in the following of Christ. She's acted that out in her life, shown that to all of us. One God and Father. Oh, man. We have one common Father. He is the God over all. He is the Father of all His children. Regardless how different we are from one another, we are from uh, we are all one big adopted family. We are a, a healthy body will be spiritually united. Another healthy uh, a, 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 another uh, picture of a healthy church or a healthy body is they'll be spiritually diverse. We talk about being united, um, but. United doesn't mean we, we fall into uniformity, if you understand what I mean. We're not all going to look exactly the same. We're not all going to dress the same. We're not always uh, going to even use the same type of speech. Uh, we're, we're, we're not all going to uh, uh, live the exact same habits in our life. Hopefully, the ones we'll live will be godly habits, and the ones that are sinful habits, we'll continually to work on those together to, to root those out and remove them from our life. But we're, we're to be spiritually diverse. Uh, we have diverse gifts. Uh, you know, you wouldn't, you know, pitchers in baseball. Pitchers in baseball are not known for being great hitters. I mean, there might be one or two. But that's not what they're known for. Great, great hitters in baseball aren't known for their pitching. You wouldn't want a, a nose tackle in football playing quarterback. 
They have different gifts, different responsibilities on the field, different gifts. And in verse 7, it says, But unto you, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. That word grace is not, it's not talking about saving grace. It's talking about a ministry grace. It's talking about a gift to do the work of the Lord. In verse 8, he says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. He's referencing Psalm 68, uh, verse 18, which summarizes really how Christ triumphed over sin and death and now is the ultimate source of authority in the universe. It's like a king who has gone to war and achieved a great victory, and now he's bringing back the spoils of war. He, he is bringing back to each of us gifts that we can use to serve him and to, to continue his work here in the world. Uh, the, the, the Smith family exhibited their gifts this morning for us, their gift of music, his gift of public speaking, their gift of wanting to serve and share the gospel with others. They have uh, gifts, and they've developed those gifts for the work of Christ. We should have the same approach. Many of us will look at ourselves, and we'll see that we, you know, maybe we don't have the gifts that we're looking for, but God has gifted you to serve in his church. Um, he names a few in verse nine, now that he ascended what it is, uh, excuse me, now that he ascended, what is it, but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. Um, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Uh, I'm going to stop and just explain this because this might be a little confusing. There's a little bit of debate here about what this means and it could it could be uh, describing that Christ went down into the heart of the earth and into the uh, pits of hell. It also could be describing, uh, I, and I believe this, that, he's, that him coming down from heaven to, our, to earth with us. Uh, but regardless, what it says in verse 10 kind of sums it all up and kind of caps it all because he says, he that descended is the same, that is, uh, also ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Listen, basically what it's saying is Christ is in charge. He's on top of all things, and we're to submit ourselves to him. He fills all, he gives gifts to all, and we are to marvel at his generosity and his authority. But he talks about a few different gifts here in verse 11. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, and I could go on and on about these things. But basically, uh, the apostles and prophets, we don't have these roles anymore in our church as, they've, as they have been replaced by God's word. And uh, uh, this has been preserved for us throughout all ages. But uh, evangelists are gifted at proclaiming the gospel, and pastors and teachers are meant to shepherd and teach uh, and and and. and it, it describes a little more about what they do in verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the working of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. But really, I want you to ask yourself, because this list is not exhaustive. This does not exhaust all the different gifts that God gives, because there's many who have, uh, are uniquely gifted for different things like encouragement or administration or hospitality or this morning music. Uh, leading in worship. And my, my question for you is, how has God gifted you? You know, it might be evident by the job that you do secularly. It might show up in that place. It might show up in how you operate within your, uh, your home. Maybe it hasn't shown up yet. But I, I, I encourage you to seek what God has gifted you to do because God has given you gifts to work together in this body. 
to driving towards a specific thing. Uh, a, a healthy church is spiritually united. A healthy church is spiritually diverse. But also, finally, a, a healthy church is spiritually mature. Look at verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness whereby they lay in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. There's a lot of words there. But he's talking about each believer should become spiritually mature. That's the result of that unity and that diversity in the church. It should lead to maturity in the church. Maturity involves Christ-likeness. We've already talked about that, but Paul references it again in verse 13, that we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. He's talking about uh, being mature like Christ, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's the ultimate picture of maturity. The goal for each of us is to be like Christ. We should long for and pray for the character qualities of Christ to be present in our life. How many of you pray, you don't have to raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass anybody. How many of you in your heart, raise your hand, pray on a daily basis? And when you pray, do you pray for the church? Do you pray for those who are going through difficult times? Do you pray for the leaders in your life? Do you pray for your job? Do you pray for your family? Let me ask you this. Do you pray for God to gift you with characteristics and, and qualities that glorify him? I'll confess to you that I often forget that stuff. I often forget that stuff and I get consumed with the here and now and what's bothering me right now and what I'm struggling with right now and what I'm trying to work towards right now. And I forget that, you know what, I'm supposed to continually grow to be more like Christ. But that is my chief pursuit is to be a, a shepherd who, 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 an under-shepherd of Christ who exemplifies the qualities of Christ and shows them to you so that you'll continue to exemplify those in your own life. I, I'm to lead you. This is something we should pray and long for. Maturity involves Christ-likeness. It also involves doctrinal stability. It says we should be uh, united in the faith and no more like children. Uh, you know, children are easily uh, deceived. They're, they can be very gullible. But we're not to, uh, not to be like that. False teachers want to come in and, and toss them around with false doctrines, like all religions are the same. Hey, uh, religion is like a mountain, and there's one peak, but many ways up that mountain. That's a lie. That's a lie. They want to teach you things like, well, if you're a good person, you can go to heaven. If you're here this morning and you believe that, I hate to tell you this, but that's a lie. You can't be a good enough person to go to heaven. You can't be a good enough person to get ready to, get, to receive salvation. 
Listen, if you're waiting to receive Christ because you're, you're hoping that you're going to get your life together and you're going to clean up some area of your life that you think Christ won't accept, let me tell you, he accepts you exactly the way you are now. Because he didn't accept you based on your holiness or your righteousness. He accepts you based on his love and his care, his, his willingness to follow the will of his Father. And the will of his Father was to save every single one of us. The devil wants you to believe you've got to be a good person to go to heaven. Or, or maybe another lie would be the Bible is just one of the many good books to live by. That's a lie. Hey, there's a lot of great books out there. There's only one you need to live by, and that's the Word of God. Maturity involves Christ-likeness, doctrinal stability. It involves truth joined with love. Uh, it's easy for us to, to point out people's faults. Or to, or to share the gospel. Uh, but again, we can't do that and bully people into believing. We can't do that in a, in a spirit of, of uh, manipulation. It must be in a spirit of love. They have to be uh, done together. We should present the truth, yes. But we should do it in such a way that, uh, that, that we don't want to offend or injure others. I mean, the gospel will offend enough. We shouldn't be offensive. Love must be part of our communications about truth. Love must be central to all truth-telling. And finally, maturity involves us to each give a contribution. In this last verse of this passage, he says, from whom the whole body, he refers back to the body, okay? And he says, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of Every part making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Paul, he returns to this body metaphor because every body has parts and every part is important. If you're here this morning and you've ever experienced a part of your body not working, it usually causes problems. It might land you in the hospital. It might land you in the grave. you got to have all the parts of your body working together. And let me tell you, in a church, in this church, we must have every part of the body working together. Now, are we going to do it perfectly in our own strength? Absolutely not. But if we'll look towards Him and depend upon Him and follow what He instructs us to do and try to listen to how God might have you to work in the church, let me tell you, this church will be successful. God will bless it. I praise God that we had so many people this week who served in VBS and served yesterday to help us get our facilities ready. The, the Smith family helped us. Praise the Lord. I didn't know how they ended up getting roped into cleaning stuff, but they were doing it. They get it. We need to all get it. Each part is important. I have more notes. I have about another page, but I'm going to have to just wrap this up. Let me ask this question. Why should this matter? I'm going to share a quote with you, a really good quote from a writer. He says, your life is much bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse, and non-delinquent kids. It is bigger than beautiful gardens, nice vacations, and fashionable clothes. In reality, you are, are part of something immense. 
something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is here to rescue fallen humanity, transporting them into his kingdom and progressively changing them into his likeness. And he wants you to be part of his plan. The reason I love Ephesians 1 is because Paul goes to great lengths to describe God's grand plan, and it's beautiful. But even better, he wants you to be part of it. And if you're part of this church, we all have a part in making sure this is a healthy body. But if you're not part of this church, let me tell you, Christ's plan was to redeem the world to himself. It's described for us in in, in, uh, chapter 1, verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. And that includes every person that has ever walked and lived and breathed the breath of earth. He wants you to be redeemed in him. And he made it really easy for us. So easy that even a child could do it. That if you'll just understand that your sin separates you from the love of God. But Jesus came to pay the price for your sin. And that if you'll trust in him alone, he'll save you. You don't have to clean up any part of your life. You don't have to get baptized. That comes after. You don't have to give a whole bunch of money to the church. You don't have to be the best guy who lives on your block. You just have to trust Christ. And if you're here today and you're part of this church, that's our message. And every person you know needs to hear it. It's going to take us working together. Let's stand together. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. And God, I pray that you would just, Lord, allow these words to penetrate our heart. I've said a lot, I think, in a short amount of time. This is a very rich passage of scripture, but in reality, God, it, it points to us what we need to be about. We need to be uh, united together. We need to depend upon our diverse gifts to serve you. God, we need to seek spiritual maturity in our life, individually and as a church. Help us to grow in the way you would have us to grow. God, if there's one here today that's never trusted you, God, if there's one who's, who's heard the message of salvation before, or maybe they never heard it and they just heard it first this morning, God, I pray you just help them to see their need for a Savior. And Lord, I pray you just would give them, um, give them boldness to ask, to come forward, uh, to, or, to, or if they know all they need to know right now, Lord, I pray they just would trust you completely. God, we just pray you help us to do the work that we should do to help add to your kingdom. Bless our church. Bless this time of invitation. Help us to respond according to your word. In Christ's name, amen. What shall we sing, Brother Eric? I surrender all.